Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Expedition Cinema Podcast. As always, I'm your host Jeremy, and today we're recapping, uh, well, today we're doing a lot of stuff. Today we're recapping the WGA Strikes uh, conclusion and uh, looking at the ongoing SAG after strike. Uh, after that, we're going to jump into a look back at the summer release schedule of 2023, give a top five for that, and then we'll finish up with uh, something I started last year that, you know, obviously I wasn't doing this last year, but uh, something I did begin doing personally last year that I did again this year. It's a little Halloween countdown watch list that I started on October 1st, um, so uh, I'll give a rundown of that and what I kind of want to do with that um, and then I'll just kind of finish up with a little life update because uh, I think most obviously I haven't been recording on a regular schedule I mean this episode is out on a Saturday afternoon which is not really something I've ever I ever do so uh, but anyway yeah it's it's been um, a hectic couple of weeks um, a lot of changes in my life have happened quite recently, so we'll give a little update on that as well. Uh, but first, uh, the most important information uh, out of this episode. Um, uh, one is the, uh, the best news that we've gotten out uh, of these Hollywood strikes, uh, and it's that the WGA basically got everything that they wanted, um, which is obviously the hopeful outcome for SAG after as well, but for now, hey, I will take uh, WGA. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, the best news uh, is that it's over for the WGA. SAG AFTRA is still going on. Please don't, uh, you know, let up if you've been vocal on social media. Uh, if you are on the picket lines, uh, please continue to do so. It is uh, really important, uh, especially at this, you know, I, what I think that SAG AFTRA, as well as most of the uh, movie going population, has uh, earmarked as a very significant turning point for acting as a profession for writing as a profession um so uh you know i i am uh really really hoping that people don't think the strikes are just over now uh, but we can celebrate the good news uh the deal that uh the wga got it rose from the initial 86 million that uh the studio system had uh, offered for them and uh it rose to 223 million dollars they are going to see a wage increase of 5% in this first year post-ratification uh, of the agreement. Um, and then they're going to see a 4% in the second year and a 3.5% in the third year. So, you know, cumulatively, that's 12.5% of uh, wage increase they're going to see over three years, which is uh, really exciting for writing as a profession. Because um, I do think that in the past, they've definitely been undervalued a lot. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, studios are, uh, per the agreement, uh, studios are not allowed to require writers to use AI as a tool in their writing. They have to disclose if they give any AI-generated material to writers during the process to use. Um, they also uh, secured a key contract language regarding use of its members' work in data sets to train AI programs. Uh, with that contract dictating that the WGA reserves the right to assert that exploitation of writer's material to train AI is prohibited by MBA or other law. Uh, starting in 2024, streaming titles with budgets of more than 30 mil are, uh, that are viewed by 20% uh, or more of the service's domestic subscribers in the first 90 days of the release. Uh, a lot of stipulations there, uh, but if all of those uh, factors are true, um, 
the riders will get a bonus equal to 50% of the fixed, domestic, and foreign residual. Uh, views will be calculated as hours streamed domestically uh, of a film or season uh, divided by the runtime. For example, uh, which I definitely needed an example because um, I will say, guys, like the the language uh, is very particular. Uh, obviously, it needs to be. This is worked out by far more intelligent people than I am, um, people that uh, know how legal language works. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, the example super helps me understand. Uh, for example, projects written under the new agreement on the largest streaming platforms would receive a bonus of $9,031 for a half-hour episode, $16,415 for a single-hour episode, or $40,500 for a streaming feature, which very, very good, very good. <laughs> uh, the WGA also is going to receive confidential viewership data on streaming shows based on hours viewed, uh, though only aggregate data can be publicly shared. I mean, I, I first would love that, you know, the aggregate data be publicly shared. Um, but that said, uh, I'm not a writer and my income, uh, my experience, even as a viewer, it does not depend upon how many other people are viewing. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's nice to know how popular something is, but I'm perfectly okay hitting Twitter and engaging in, you know, public conversation about uh, um, a plat or not a platform, um, about a piece of content uh, rather than just looking at data. So as long as the WGA has access to that and can assess that for their writers, you know, I'm, I'm all good not having that public. <laughs> um just so I can <laughs> just so I can ratify this agreement um, for feature length streaming projects with a budget at or above 30 million the minimal initial compensation for a story or teleplay is a hundred thousand dollars that's an 18 percent increase from the current state and a 26 percent increase from the residual base that is such a huge win for writers that are working on feature length streaming projects uh, streaming residuals is, a, I know, a big point of contention uh, for writers especially. We, we saw tons and tons of people sharing their pay stubs of like 2 4 like $16 for wildly popular shows. Uh, but now streaming, res streaming residuals are going to be based on the streaming platform's number of foreign subscribers uh, for globally available services. That will amount to a 76% increase, including a 2.5% base increase. Uh, to the foreign residual for the services with the largest global subscribers bases over three years. The formula is going to be the same as the foreign residual structure negotiated by the Directors Guild uh, this past summer. Um, uh, when combined with foreign residual improvements, this should result in a three-year residual of $216,000 for projects on the largest streaming platforms. That would represent a 49% increase. From the 144,993 under the 2020 mutual bargaining agreement, uh, the requirement for the studios behind the scenes uh, is to require uh, that they hire at least three writers for development and at least three writer producers, including a showrunner, uh, for a guaranteed 10 weeks of work. Uh, this, you know, obviously gives writers uh, and writer adjacent jobs. Job security, um, which is, I think, if you ask anybody uh, that you might know working as a writer, working as an actor, 
Um, you know, especially in the Hollywood system, it's hard to find job security. <laughs> uh, after the series is greenlit, studios agreed to hire writers according to the number of episodes ordered. Six or fewer episodes, three writers and three writer-producers. Seven to twelve, five writers, three writer-producers. And 13-plus episodes, six writers and three writer-producers for at least 20 weeks or the duration of the post-greenlit writer's room, whichever is shorter. Uh, during production, there's going to be a minimum of the showrunner and the two writer-producers employed for 20 weeks or the duration of the production, whichever is shorter. So, uh, looking at all of this in summation, you know, you really can't say that the writers did not win at every turn here. They have secured uh, a decent amount of job security as much as, you know, they, you know, I think you really can expect as a writer in Hollywood, someone working on creative sets like this. Um, they secured a, a good agreement uh, as well for um, their residuals, which is a huge portion of writers' continued support from Hollywood. Uh, and they secured language that would, you know, prevent uh, studios from uh, using AI to effectively replace them. So these three major points that we kind of saw, are kind of saw, yeah, kind of saw come out uh, of these, you know, strikes on Twitter, on uh, newscasts everywhere. You know, they have all been addressed for the WGA, um, and uh, you know, on all fronts, WGA has scored major victories. So writers. Great work, man. It, it, they, they really got a lot of what they wanted, pretty much everything what they wanted. Now, on to the SAG after strikes. This is, unfortunately, at the moment, a very different story. Um, so SAG after they have been striking since July 14th. Um, and most recently, they've been in talks since November, or not for November, I'm sorry, uh, October 2nd. Uh, but on October 11th, the organization that represents major studios, the AMPTP, uh, released a statement announcing that talks have been uh, in, I don't want to say indefinitely, because that wasn't in the language anywhere, but uh, that is kind of the feeling that they have been suspended for the moment. Um, they did state that uh, SAG-AFTRA brought a demand for a viewership bonus that would cost an additional $800 million for studios per year. Uh, and they stated this as an untenable economic burden. And this also kind of factors in the necessity for releasing public record of viewership for screen streaming content. And, you know, they've been very resistant to that in the past. Um, but we did just see the WGA uh, achieved at least um, that information for them, not public release. So hopefully the <laughs> studios will be able to make that same concession. Um, but for now... Uh, that is also something that they have been um, disagreeing on. Um, <clears throat> however, on the 12th, SAG-AFTRA released a statement stating that um, that organization that represents major studios presented an offer that was worth less than what they had proposed when the strike had even began all the way back um, in July. So uh, that's crazy. <laughs> um, um, but uh, they had also said that studios have been misrepresenting the cost of that uh, above proposal, uh, above proposal, the 800 million, the viewership bonus. Um, and they said that they have been uh, misrepresenting the cost by about 60%, which, <laughs> you know, I haven't actually uh, done the math. Um, let me actually do the math real quick. Uh, that's uh, 480 million off the bill so 
not nothing <laughs> i gotta say not nothing at all um anyway uh moving on from that issue uh, we uh, got to talk about ai too uh sag had said that uh the amptp claims uh to protect performer consent uh but in that same language uh, they seemed like they would also demand that they need performer consent the first day of employment otherwise no employment uh, and that consent would be for use of the performer's digital replica. Now, what this really means is that studios would pay an extra for one day of work and then claim ownership of that extra's likeness for any future franchise project. That is fucking insane. To say, ah, you appeared in this uh, one scene of a Fast and Furious movie... Well, get ready, because you're going to see your face in the movie, even though you didn't show up and you didn't get paid. You know, you'll see your face again. Um, so that in itself, I think, is uh, for me, I think that, you know, personally, when I assess the situation, that seems like the biggest issue to me, because uh, that in itself could erase acting uh, almost uh, almost on mass, because um, uh, extra work. Uh, extras are a huge portion of a lot of sag aftras um how do i say jobs <laughs> like uh, not everyone can be killian murphy and oppenheimer barbie like not everyone can be um you know uh yeah margot robbie and barbie you know everyone can be ryan gosling and barbie not everyone uh can be tom cruise and mission impossible or uh, even rebecca ferguson in um mission impossible you know it's it's slim pickings so you know aside from the highly competitive job field that they have you know this would essentially erase the possibility that you're going to get a small role that could be a gateway for you or could even just pay your bills if that's what you need it to do. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, they're at a standstill right now uh, to me and uh, I hope to everybody else. Um, it's very obvious who's right in the situation, um, but, you know, they're all always stupid people out there. Um, but that's it. Yeah, they're at a standstill right now. I do hope, obviously, that this can get resolved uh, for uh, both parties. If not, I'd be happy with just the one party taking the lion's share of everything. Um, that being SAG-AFTRA. Uh, but anyway, we'll move on from this. Um, uh, like I said, uh, please don't believe that it's just over. Because uh, it is not. Um, SAG-AFTRA is still literally fighting for their profession. <clears throat> But moving on, we'll talk about summer tw summer of 2023. Uh, for me, I'm defining this as any movies released from June 1st through August 31st. I'm going to do a quick rundown. Uh, June 2nd, Boogeyman and Across the Spider-Verse came out. June 9th, Transformers Rise of the Beasts. June 16th was a big weekend. Uh, the Blackening, um, uh, Elemental, The Flash, Asteroid City all came out. Uh, June 23rd, No Hard Feelings came out. And Past Lives, although it had released earlier... I think on June 2nd, uh, Past Lives, and this weekend, June 23rd, they got a wide release. So I saw it down in Tallahassee, um, which is not included in limited release most of the time. <laughs> uh, June 30th, um, we got Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, Ruby Gilman, TJ Kraken, Teenage Kraken, uh, and Nimona uh, on Netflix. Uh, June 7th, 
I'm sorry, July 7th, uh, we got Insidious the Red Door and Joyride. July 14th, we got Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Uh, July 21st, we got Barbie, Oppenheimer, Cobweb, and They Clone Tyrone on Netflix. Um, July 28th, we got Haunted Mansion and Talk to Me. August 2nd, we got TMNT, Heat Mutant Mayhem. Uh, August 4th, we got Meg 2, The Trench, Shortcomings, and Till Death Do Us Apart. Uh, Do Us Part, sorry. Uh, August 11th, we got Jules, The Last Voyage of the Demeter, and The Pod Generation. August 18th, we got Back on the Strip, Blue Beetle, Landscape with Invisible Hands, Strays. August 25th, we got Bottoms, Gran Turismo, Golda, The Hill, and Retribution. And last but not, uh, certainly not least, uh, August 30th, we got Slotherhouse. Um, I feel so privileged in that I've seen Slotherhouse uh, because most people in Tallahassee uh, have not. And that's because when it was supposed to come out, it was going to have one showing, one week. That was it on one day. And it got canceled because of a hurricane. So, uh, I feel really privileged to be able to talk about Slotherhouse. Um, but that said, that is the whole rundown of uh, the entire year. Um, uh, well, n- excuse me, not the entire year, the entire summer. Uh, the ones that I have not seen, I did not see God is a Bullet. I did not see Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken. Um, let's see, is there anything else I haven't seen? Uh, I didn't see Till Death Do Us Part. Um yeah, I did not see Back on the Strip, uh, unfortunately. I did not see Golda. I did not see The Hill. Um, although I, I might I might eventually visit The Hill. The Hill doesn't look uh, like dog shit. Um, and I can tolerate a, a an okay amount of, you know, religious imagery and, you know, faith-based film. You know, I can, I can deal a little bit. Uh, but my top five for this summer... Uh, my honorable mention might be shocked, or might be a shocker. Uh, it's Barbie. I love Barbie a lot. Um, I've talked, obviously, there's a whole episode about Barbie and Oppenheimer and my experience with both. Um, Barbie is an incredibly fun movie. It really captures a lot of what, you know, I think um, movies need to be when they are. Um, Uh, you know, designated as a summer blockbuster, and obviously financially it achieves that title as well. Um, Barbie, upon revisiting, um, kind of degrades a little bit here and there. Um, I do find that, you know, despite, you know, being very inclusive uh, of all women and, you know, even providing a lot of commentary for all men too, um, I think it's very centered on the white female experience. And I don't mean that as a degradation of the white female experience, um, but I do think that uh, we could have seen a little bit more of universality uh, in terms of Barbie, Barbie's experience. Uh, that said, not everything, uh, not, not everyone could be literally everywhere at once and be everyone at the same time. Um, so I, I can understand if there's significant pushback to that uh, criticism of Barbie. Um, but like I said, really loved Barbie. It is a ton of fun, absolutely buying the Blu-ray. Um, I love to support Greta Gerwig because she's such a talented filmmaker. Uh, Ryan Gosling, uh, weirdly one of my favorite 
comedic actors working right now. Um, and Margot Robbie just brings uh, everything you could want to the role, honestly. Um, and whenever I hear a Billie Eilish uh, <laughs> sing her one song on the soundtrack, I fucking lose it. <laughs> I, I start crying because I just think about the women in my life um, and how special they are. Um, but moving on. Uh, number five for me was Asteroid City. Uh, I really like Wes Anderson. He's one of my favorite directors just because of his aesthetic style that he applies to every single scene, every single movie he ever does. Um, so, you know, that meticulous uh, set design, that meticulous direction, I really, really love. Uh, and you can always see it come through in his film. Um, Asteroid City was a really interesting kind of deconstruction of the creative process. I really, really love... Um, What's his name? Augie, I think, uh, is his name. It's the character that Jason Schwartzman plays, the main character, uh, the father. I really love that character. I think he is a really good encapsulation um, of this you know, examination of the artistic process. Um, I thought it was beautiful, profound, and funny. <laughs> that's, that's, I think, the underrated uh, aspect for most Wes Anderson movies is they're really funny. The delivery is uh, spot on, and it's because of how they're directed. Number four for me um, was Bottoms. I think Bottoms is so funny. <laughs> um, there are a couple moments where I'm like, okay, it's a little meh, but man, on mass, like for I'd say 95% of this movie, I was laughing. Um, so much. I, I really liked this movie a lot. I have a full-length episode about it. I encourage you to check it out. Um, it really was just such a great time. Uh, underrated MVP of the movie. Um, <laughs> I already named it, uh, named two in the, um, the episode that I released, but uh, I feel compulsed uh, to mention uh, Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> like so random that he's in here, but like I I love it. Like it's it's he's he's great in this movie. He's funny. Um number 3 for me, Oppenheimer. Uh again, I have a full-length episode for Barbie and Oppenheimer, so feel free to check it out. Uh but Oppenheimer is so so special. Um aside from the, you know, financial unique quality that it has uh or not quality but unique standing that it has you know being an r-rated uh biopic about robert j oppenheimer you know a gentleman who you know american history has kind of maligned quite a bit uh, myself included and i will continue to because he created nuclear war uh you know essentially um you know that's probably an unfair uh, assessment. Uh, he was just the first to get there. Nuclear war was always going to be created, um, but he was the first to get there, so he gets a ton of the blame for it, uh, which isn't unwarranted. Uh, anyway, let's talk about the actual movie. Uh, Oppenheimer uh, making as much money as it did. Uh, obviously, the association with Barbie's name, Barbie's brand, uh, definitely assisted it in making it a theater experience that a ton of people were happy to go and do. Barbenheimer, or uh, Oppenby. Oh, I hate that, actually. Never mind. Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer only. No Oppenby. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it's it's incredibly worth the hype. 
Uh, I'm, unfortunately, it's not in theaters anywhere uh, anymore for me right now. I don't know if that's the case across the country, uh, and it hasn't hit a streaming platform as far as I know. Uh, but as soon as it does, uh, buying it, <laughs> I'm absolutely buying it, because um, it's uh, probably, um, I would say, mm, that's actually interesting to think about. I haven't really tried to place it in Chris Nolan's filmography um, in terms of you know what I've enjoyed more and what I've enjoyed less. Um, but I think it is very special. Um, uh, obviously, Christopher Nolan tells a lot of uh, the similar stories, um, but that doesn't make it any less profound when someone is speaking about what they know. Um, so, you know, especially when he uh, tackles these male characters uh, that, you know, he expresses complexity in, um, I really, really like to see that represented. Um, especially since uh, we do see a lot of male characters uh, um, and in that also a lot of female characters that are one-dimensional um, that don't get the time of day. Um, it's nice to see that we have a director that is willing to kind of tackle that and uh, not only tackle that narratively but cinematically too. It's undeniable how gorgeous this film is and how well edited it is as well. Um, for those of you that didn't get to see it in IMAX, Dolby Cinema, 70mm uh, even, if you just saw it in digital, um, I would encourage you to keep an eye out and hope that they re-release it at some point so that people can get that experience. Um, but uh, for now, I just gotta say, uh, you missed out. It was an incredible experience uh, in Dolby Cinema in IMAX. I've seen it in 70mm too. It was so, so, so good. Uh, but like I said, have a full-length episode on this one. Uh, please go check it out. And uh, I also have a full-length episode uh, about the second uh, entry on the list, what comes in at number two for me, which is Past Lives. Past Lives by Celine Song is incredible. It builds me up. It breaks me. It hurts my feelings. Um it just it's it's really difficult to not gravitate towards films that make you really feel something and make you assess relationships that you have uh, in real life and that's exactly what uh, past lives did um, I'm not going to talk a lot about past lives because you know it really it got its own episode all on its own so please please go check that out um, I also did like a top five romance with that as well Number one, though, is uh, The Nerd and Me coming out. Um, it's Across the Spider-Verse. I am uh, probably the most obsessed with animation uh, as a medium for film. And it is, uh, you know, just a masterful work for animation. This movie, you know, despite it being a superhero film and, you know, there are some story beats that are a bit mediocre and, um, you know, some characters that are a little cringy, but man, this movie is incredible. It is animation work at its very finest. It is meticulous attention and love for characters and properties that are you know, you know, beloved across the world. Um, and honestly, I really just can't express <laughs> adequately, you know, as far as I'm concerned, adequately, um, how 
important the film is for the medium of animation uh, to gain a lot more legitimacy. Um, In an ideal world, this gets a Best Picture nomination. Uh, It definitely doesn't win it, um, but... Um, you know, I, I really, really do hope that it garners a nomination, not just for Best Animated Feature, but for Best Picture as well, because it is an incredible film. All right, um, let's jump into this Halloween watch list. So, it is very difficult, uh, one, to put together a list of films that I want to use the 31 Days of October on. Uh, But it's even more difficult to try and actually watch 31 days of film. It is incredibly hard. Um, But that said, I'm I'm trying. (laughs) Um, Anyway, sorry, I think I just hit the mic. Oops. All right. So uh, from day one on through uh, ending on Halloween, these are the movies. Eyes Without a Face from 1960. Orphan from 2009. It Chapter 2 from 2019, Night of the Living Dead from 1968, A Quiet Place Part 2, 2020, Quaidon, I hope I'm saying that right, Uh, it's from 1964, it's a Japanese film, Um, Candyman from 1992, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, 1998, or 1988, sorry, Uh, Frankenstein from 1931, Uh, The Conjuring, 2013, Creep 2, 2017, the Exorcist, 1973, Friday the 13th, 1980, It Came from Outer Space, 1953, Young Frankenstein, 1974, The Nun, 2018, The House, oh, not The House, House, 1977, <clears throat> excuse me, um, The Fly, 1986, The Babadook, 2014, Halloween Town, 1998, shout out uh, Aliens, 1986. Actually, not shout out Disney. Fuck Disney. Um, the Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, 2021. Child's Play, 1988. The Blair Witch Project, 1999. Monster House, 2006. The Invisible Man, 2020. The Birds, 1963. No One Will Save You, 2023. Doctor Sleep, 2019. Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, 2005, and Halloween, 2018. And that is the entire watch list for October uh, for me. Uh, You might notice that a lot of these are sequels. Um, That is intentional. I did this last year, obviously. Uh, You guys don't have that list. I don't really plan to release that list at any point. Uh, But just know that if you see a sequel on here, um, just know that I watched the original last year. Um, uh, the only one that I do want to clarify a little bit is that I have The Conjuring and then Conjuring 3 on here. I did Conjuring 2 last year, uh, just because I love Conjuring 2. Uh, so we're going to do the ones surrounding it this year. Um, I do plan to do like a 15 in episode. Uh, so this, you know, this episode is coming out on the 14th. Um, so I do expect a, uh, episode recapping those first 15 uh, that I mentioned uh, on the 19th this week, on Thursday at 10. Uh, then I'm going to do 30 in uh, on the 30th. Uh, that's going to release on uh, Monday, the 30th. And then the next day, we're going to have just a Halloween finale. We're going to talk about Halloween 2018, how it compares to Halloween 1978, I think, is when that came out. Um, 
and uh, then kind of look at the franchise as a whole. Uh, I haven't seen all of those movies, so I might kind of sneak them in. Uh, if not, then we'll just do a direct compare and contrast from the original to the reboot. But that is pretty much everything uh, that I've got for you filmic-wise. Um, to give you a little life update before I sign off here, uh, school is hectic. Um, and I'm trying to keep up with readings, so do forgive me if I miss some weeks. I am trying to keep it a little bit light for myself. Uh, so those uh, Halloween countdown watch list episodes might be the only ones you get for October. I'm super sorry, but I'm going to be busy. I'm going to be traveling. I can't really um, afford to sit down for three hours at a time. Um, uh, Work-wise, I have been working two jobs, but I recently let go of one. Uh, not only is it uh, really cutting into my energy that I can devote to school and the time that I can devote to school, but I've had some family circumstances that have come up that kind of require me to take a step back from uh, the job that kind of occupies most of my nights. Uh, unfortunate as it is, I do have to do it. Uh, I do love the people I work with. I think that me personally, I'm very fortunate in that both places that I work, I have absolutely loved the people that I work with. They are dedicated, kind, accommodating, but um, it's really difficult to try and fit in everything, especially at this point. Um, I just turned 24 yesterday. Yeah, happy birthday, me. Um, super excited to see what this year kind of holds for me. Um, and uh, as always, I kind of hope it heralds a lot of positive change, <laughs> which I, I guess, you know, most of everybody would join me in that. Uh, as far as movie going goes, uh, I, I haven't been able to get my three movies in per week for AMC Stubbs, uh, which is disappointing. Um, but I've been trying to keep up with the, the movies that I see, you know, really touted online that people like a lot. I just went and saw Strange Way of, uh, Strange Way of Life uh, by Pedro Almodovar, um, and he was a director that I studied last semester, so I was super happy to kind of watch uh, something new from him. I also saw there was a, a, the human voice with Tilda Swinton. They played that as well. And that was really cool to see as well. Um, other than that, I, uh, haven't really seen much movies in theaters. Uh, probably, uh, tomorrow I'll go and see Taylor Swift's new film. Um, I am really interested to see how that compares with, uh, Beyonce's Renaissance film. Um, I obviously have, will have my assumptions about which film's going to be better, uh, or at least more interesting for me, um, but I, I do enjoy Taylor Swift's music a lot. I wouldn't really call myself a Swifty, but uh, at the same time, uh, I, I do like her as a personality, and uh, same with Beyonce, so I'm excited to see how those kind of pan out. Um, but I'm just rambling. Uh, guys, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. As always... Thank you guys so much for tuning in to listen on Spotify. I know that the uh, activity is kind of spotty. Uh, definitely follow my letterbox. Uh, it's, um, I think it's J-M-C-H-A-N-G. Um, and uh, make sure you follow me on Twitter as well. I'm very active in those two places, um, especially when I can't be active on here. Um, uh, make sure you guys leave a review, a star rating of some kind. really helps the podcast get out there. Share with your friends. Um, you know, I really want to kind of start building it a little bit more. Um, uh, but like I said, you can always find me on Letterboxd and Twitter. It's where I'm most active. Uh, next week, 
Um, like I said, you're going to see an episode for uh, the first 15 of the Halloween Countdown watch list. Uh, and just to uh, recap it for you uh, super quick, um, that is going to be uh, from uh, Eyes Without a Face uh, all the way through Young Frankenstein. Uh, those will be the uh, outlier movies uh, that we're going to be uh, looking at, as well as everything in between. Um, so that will be super fun. I'm super excited for that. Uh, please keep your eyes peeled for maybe another episode this week at some point. Uh, maybe next week I'll do an extra episode. Um, it's uh, I've been trying to nail out a time uh, with one of my friends, Malachi, uh, to talk about the... Cr- uh, not the creator. Um... <laughs> to talk about Ex Machina, Ex Machina and our top five AI films, uh, which, uh, you know, is partly the reason why I thought the creator would go in there. Uh, I might actually see if Luke wants to do uh, some kind of a um, little special episode, just a little one episode review of the creator, because he really enjoyed that movie a lot. And, you know, to be fair, Gareth Edwards is fantastic. So uh, anyway, All right, Uh, I will see you guys next week. We're going to be talking those first 15 on the Halloween watch list. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, Have a great week.